Well, good morning. My name is Todd Steffens. Uh, my wife, Paul, and I have been attending here for right around 18 years. Uh, the first Sunday we came to, moved out to DeWitt, we attended here, and we, we've been here ever since. And if anybody wants to place any blame on the snow this morning, we can all blame Paula. She did a Hallmark Christmas marathon yesterday to set the whole thing off, so thanks to her for that. About a year and a half ago, Neil and Kurt and I had a conversation at the church right up front here and talked about how neat it would be if we would start giving testimonies again in church, because those are some of the neatest times where we get to know our fellow brothers and sisters a little bit better, but we also give a chance to give glory to God for the work that he's done in us. And I'm going to give a little bit more uh, reason as to why I'm giving my testimony today as opposed to a year and a half ago, because there's an event that happened to me right uh, within weeks of having that conversation with those two guys. But I want to start off with a, a Bible verse as I give my testimony to you guys. Um, that fits any of us that are that are in Christ Jesus, and it's therefore, we are, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. As I grew up, uh, I went to a little Methodist church in Calmus. My mom played the organ. She's actually still playing the organ. She's there this morning playing the organ. My brother or my sister and my brother are here this morning, as well as other family members and friends. But our dad didn't go to church my dad was a, a a sports nut my dad loved to drink beer and that's that's what I thought a real man was I I didn't know any man as a Christian role model growing up I thought Christian men were soft that they were weak so that perception I had all through growing up and then one, one weekend, our little youth group, Julie, you might have been with me on this, we went to see The Hiding Place, uh, the story about Corey Ten Boom um, and the Nazi concentration camps. Our youth group went to North Park Mall. We used to have a couple of movie theaters there. And after the movie was finished, a couple of impromptu ladies stepped forward and said, if, if anybody wants to know more about Jesus, come on down. And I thought, oh, okay, I want to know more about Jesus. So I went forward, and that's the first time I ever heard that you needed to be born again. And I, I accepted Jesus, but I didn't know what to do with that. I, so whether or not that was the moment I entered the, the kingdom, I'm, I'm still not really sure. Uh, because there were other moments throughout my, my life where I quote-unquote, accepted Christ, but then it never stuck. I was like that proverbial seed that got left on the, you know, the, on the stone or on the, on the sidewalk, and the sun burned it up as soon as, as, soon as it started to grow. Um, I just didn't know what to do with it. But let me give you just a little bit of a, of a definition, at least in my mind, what, what I think born again means, because I think a lot of people think born again means you play a tambourine and you're you're kind of a space cadet or whatever but born again simply is 
you've been born twice. Everybody in the whole world has been born once, right? We've all been born physically, obviously. But born again is born a second time. It's being born spiritually. And until you've been born spiritually, you're not a child of God. And that's, that's what being born again means. So after, after quote-unquote, accepting Christ at that, at, after that movie, I continued to search for God. I had a Bible next to my bed. And I tried to read it, but it didn't really make any sense. I couldn't tell you what the version was, but I got a feeling it was probably a King James version or something of that sort. And it was hard for me to understand. No study notes would come with it. So I, I bought a uh, cross necklace, and I would kiss that cross necklace every night before I went to bed. And I'd kiss my Bible before I'd go to bed at night, not, not knowing that that made any difference. But that was I was searching. Well, when I got to when I got out of high school and I went to college, uh, I followed my brother to Cornell College to play sports there. And I had turned 19 before I got to school, and 19 was a drinking age. So as soon as I got to college, the, the fraternity that my brother belonged to, I, I ended up joining the Gamma Tau Pi group. And there was uh, a bunch of athletes that drank beer, and I, I fit right in. So that was a that was a struggle then for me for the whole four years because I also was a part of the FCA group there, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Well, it was as nice a group as that was, there were no athletes in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It was, <laughs> it was a strange thing. So I, I would go, I would go a couple months uh, of trying to clean myself up and not drink and not do not cuss and not do the things that that I would do when I was partying and I would do that for a couple of months and then I'd go to a kager at, with the, the at this fraternity and somebody would offer me a beer and I'd just wilt like a flower and the next thing you know I'm break dancing out on the floor so it was I but that struggle lasted for 4 years back and forth back and forth what what do I do with Jesus and how do I how do I not, how do I get rid of my, my sense of partying and what I thought made me happy? I couldn't have sports, beer, and Jesus. The three of them didn't go together. I wanted all three of them, but it just didn't, you can't mix all three of those. So after college, I moved into a farmhouse with four Bushlow boys. I don't know if any of you guys uh, know the Bushlow boys, but those those guys those guys like to party, and I and I fit right in. So there's five of us living in this little house south of Grand Mound, and th this will just show you the depravity of of where I was at because I was in a real downward spiral. They, as well as I, the the five of us and a few other guys were planning a trip to the Boundary Waters to go canoeing in northern Minnesota. And, you know, halfway through the planning process, I said, well, how are we going to cart all the beer around in these backpacks? And they said, well, we're not taking beer. And I said, oh, I'm not going. So I didn't go. I didn't go because I couldn't drink beer for a week. How sad is that? So that's, that's where I was at. But at the same time, anytime Billy Graham came on TV, I was glued to the television set. Beer in hand didn't matter. Billy Graham 
uh, I mean, even <coughs> way back to even when I was in elementary school, if Billy Graham was on TV, I was going to watch it. So he did have a big influence on me, even though I really still didn't know what to do with him. Well, one of my roommates in college, Brad Ziola, my brother Scott and Julie would know Brad. He was six foot four, two hundred twenty-five pound uh, athlete uh, who was a roommate uh, and a fellow Gamma Tau Pi fraternity brother. We would sit around and talk about Jesus while we drank beer, and you know nothing would ever come of it. But we were both interested in the idea of Jesus. Well, he and his wife moved to uh, Minneapolis. His wife, Katie, was also a, an athlete at Cornell College. And they both accepted Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the, I don't have any spit, so i got to drink every once in a while. They moved to Minneapolis and both accepted Jesus Christ. Well, through just talking with them on the phone, they knew I didn't want anything... I didn't want anything to do with Jesus at that point in my life. I was, I, I was too tied up in the party scene, and I didn't want anything to do with it. But, but they invited me up to see him. So I, I go out to Minneapolis, and when I get out of my car, first thing I did was pop a beer, and I walked up to the door, and I held that beer. And it, to me, it was like a sign, don't be talking Jesus to me. And they didn't. For that whole weekend, they, they never said a word to me, which which was probably good for me because I watched how they lived their lives. They had three perfect little kids. They lived in a Cape Cod house. They had two cars in the garage and a minivan. And I'm living with four other drunks in a farmhouse in south of Grand Mountain. And I could see the difference that Jesus had made in their lives. And I wanted that. So that at the end of that weekend, without them ever uttering one word of Jesus, at 5.15 in the afternoon on February 15th, 1988, driving my little black escort just outside of Rochester, Minnesota, I said, Jesus, take control of my life. And I never cried so hard in my life. I, I needed windshield wipers on my eyeballs. I'm driving down the road crying, and here I am again. Now, I've, I've done this before where I've, I've made a commitment to Jesus, and then the sun comes along and burns up that little plant and I thought how am I gonna how am I gonna make this one stick well I get to work the next morning and I'm working in a, a screen printing shop called Ace Designs now Ace Designs was down on 2nd Street in Davenport surrounded by strip joints and bars and the guy that ran Ace Designs ran prostitution drugs and stolen goods out of his shop and I'm right in the middle of all that and it really didn't affect me at all when I was, you know, I wasn't into the drugs or the prostitution. But I bought, I mean, if he had stolen goods, I snatched them up. I was, there was some good stuff. Uh, but what am I going to do now that I'm in the middle of this hellhole? Well, I get up, I, my, I, I did the artwork for t-shirts for the screen printing company. Now, my little drawing office is upstairs. I get up there and I turn on the radio and just listen to whatever music was playing. I can't remember if it was KSDT or KIIK, whatever, but some popular music station. And I started to work on my artwork, and, and the words, for some reason, just didn't sit well with me. I don't, I don't, at that moment, I didn't know why, 
but I think it was the spirit working inside of me just saying this music just isn't right. And I just started flipping the dial to the left. Now, what are the chances of this? I'm flipping the dial to the left, and I hear the name Jesus. And I stop. I mean, even a, even a station like WDLM, how often does Jesus get mentioned? I mean, even if it's once a minute, for me to be turning that dial and hear Jesus as I'm just flipping to the left. So I stop. And I start listening, and I thought, you know what? These guys know what they're talking about. This is These guys sound like Billy Graham. But I thought they were saying the Mooney Broadcasting Network. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, all these years, I thought these bald guys with the orange cape selling flowers in the airports were fruitcakes, but these guys know what they're doing. <laughs> so I called the radio station because I, I knew I needed, uh, I needed to find fellowship. I needed to find... Uh, a Bible study. I needed to find a, a home church. So I called the, the radio station, WDLM, a lady, Nancy Dean, answers the phone. And I said, do you guys got any Bible studies? Which is probably a pretty stupid question because the radio stations don't have Bible studies themselves, but I didn't know. And she said, no, we don't, we don't have a, a Bible study here, but my pastor uh, at Grandview Baptist Church in Davenport He's, he might know of some Bible studies. So she gave me his number. I give him a call. And again, remember now that I'm looking for real men, real men that love Jesus, that love sports. And I don't, I don't know any. Well, I, I pull up. He invites me to a couple's Bible study of all things. So I'm, there's, this, there's this single skinny little white guy who's going to go to this couple's Bible study. So I show up at this Bible study, and, and Pastor Tom is standing out front of this house waiting for me, and he's six foot two, 240 pounds. I shake his hand, and he just smothers my hand with this. It's like a bear paw. And I find out later that he can bench press 300 pounds. He loves football. He's a man's man. It's exactly what I needed. Like Craig. <laughs> Only bigger. <laughs> same, same hand, though. Well, I get inside, and... The first couple I meet are Dave and Chris Huxma. Do you remember Dave Huxma, Scott? Dave Huxma played, we played baseball against him. Uh, he went to Davenport Central, went on to star at the University of Iowa as a shortstop, and eventually got drafted by the Montreal Expos and made it all the way to AAA before he hung it up. But here again, here's an athlete that loved Jesus. God knew exactly what I needed. So I was a part of that couple's Bible study for a few weeks, but the key to that Bible study was Pastor Tom afterwards said, Todd, if you're really serious about getting to know more about Jesus, I'd like to study the Bible with you. So we ended up every Monday and Friday over lunch for two and a half years, we studied the Word of God. He's a faithful man of God. God bless Tom. And not only that, I went to church at this church, Grandview Baptist Church, and I had no idea Baptist even made it this far north. I thought that was a southern thing. It, but I went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, Wednesday nights. I also went to their prayer service. And on Friday nights, we had a college and career Bible study that I went to. So I was saturated with just, I couldn't, I couldn't read or get enough of studying God's word. And I just, I grew like a weed. At the same time, I was, I was a Pharisee. I, there were 
parts of me where I thought, now that, I, now that I've changed, everyone's going to see that change, and everybody else around me is going to think that what I believe now is, is right. And I think I was that first, maybe, maybe took about three years for me to cool my jets a little bit, because I, I came on a little too strong, I'm sure of it. And, and then I started to develop really what I should have in the beginning, and this is different for everyone, but the example that my buddy Brad up in Minneapolis gave to me where he didn't, he didn't have to say anything. He lived his life in a way that drew me to Jesus. And that's what I've tried to do for the past 35 years. Whether or not I've done a good job or not, I can't say, but that at least has been my, my mindset. really started winging it there. Let me see here. All right, so that's really the, the end of my test testimony from 35 years ago. But I can tell you that February 15th, 1988, Jesus did become the Lord of my life. And I can tell you that February 14th, the, last, the day before that was the last day I've had a sip of beer in 35 years. Yeah. I will, I will sneak a, a glass of wine or whatever, so I'm not saying that you can't drink, but beer, beer was my downfall. And again, I'm not blaming anybody else if you, you want to drink a can of beer, but for me, that was my Achilles heel. And... Uh, and then I'm never going to touch it. But I've also haven't said a cuss word in 35 years. Now, that was my favorite favorite adjective. You didn't even have to, you didn't even have to be mad to say some of those words. It was just the way you talked. And and for me to not have a potty mouth and to not have a beer in 35 years, it, it, that just that just doesn't happen because you want to. To me, that's the proof that Jesus Christ was working in me, and by I'm far from being perfect. But those are those are some things that um, lend proof to me that Jesus is real and that Jesus is is living in me by way of His Spirit. So, to go back to when when Kurt and I and Neil talked up front here a year and a half ago about giving our testimonies in church. About two weeks after we had that talk, I got a sore throat. And it was no big deal. It was a sore throat. And I just thought my body would take care of it. I, I gargled with salt water. And after a week of it not going away, I, I went to the doctor thinking that maybe my CPAP machine had bacteria or something in it and was making my sore throat. So he put me on antibiotics and... And after uh, whatever, I was on it for two weeks, no change. Well, the sore throat kind of came and went, and it was sometime in March of 2022 that this ha this happened. I wasn't really keeping track of it because I didn't really didn't think it was that big a deal. Well, in June of 2022, I started to get a lump on the right side of my neck, and I thought, well, that's not that's probably not good. But I didn't. <laughs> I can remember. Uh, 
Kaylee's not here, but Alex's wife, who's a nurse, uh, they were over one evening, and, and as they left, she, I think she might have been the first person other than me to touch it. And she touched it and said, Todd, you've got to get that checked out. Well, that was probably in June, maybe July, somewhere in there. But I was getting ready to officiate Max and Abby's wedding, which is going to be in October. And I didn't want the focus to be on me, so I didn't go to the doctor, even though I know I should have. But I said, I'll go to the doctor the Monday after the wedding. So when the wedding was finished, I went to see Dr. Peterson up in, Maco- up in Maquoketa. And his first look at it, he said, yeah, I think you might have lymphoma. And I thought, well, that's not what I was hoping to hear. So he made, we made an appointment with a, an ENT. And that took a couple weeks, so I go to, I go to uh, the ENT, and he, he orders a, a uh, biopsy. And the biopsy comes back that I've got cancer on the base of my tongue, which explains the sore throats I get. But I, I still had, I, you know, I just thought, okay, I didn't understand. Maybe some of you here have been through radiation or you've been through chemotherapy. I, I thought, well, maybe they're just going to, you know, you stick a ray gun next to it here and you just kind of shoot something into the side of my neck. Or maybe it's big enough and it's out there enough where they can just cut it out and sew it up and I'm done. I really had no idea what to expect. But a Bible verse that that came into my, I guess, my thinking was 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And it's, it's, a, it's a verse about um, that this world isn't what it's all about. It, it's, it's the unseen is what's really real. And the verse goes, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This life is a whisper. What are you going to do with it? When something like this pops up, cancer pops up, you know, you, there's really, we went through this when, when Alex, our oldest son Alex, had a, a brain tumor when he was 12. When, when a calamity like that happens to you, you're either going to get closer to God or you're going to get further from God. I don't know anybody that just stays the same. But what are you going to do about it? And if you're a Christian, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to give God glory through pain. Because we know that this life isn't, isn't, doesn't last forever, obviously. But eternity, just in the word, does last forever. So put your eggs in that basket. So that's what I've been trying to do the last, the last year or so. I can remember one leadership meeting. I don't know if you guys that are here remember this, but when it when I first uh, found out that that was probably cancer, the first pop the first thought that popped in my mind was why me. But then it was followed quickly by why not me. 
mean, I'm nobody special. Why, why should I not, not get cancer? But I had never been really sick in 40 years. I'd never missed a day of work in 40 years anyway. So I wasn't, I wasn't used to being sick. And so now to have this thrown at me was, was going to be a real test. And I do think that God tests us in, in different ways. And for me, I think this was the test to see if my faith was genuine. I thought it was genuine. Um, but I was, you know, for 30 years, I still, I, I walked the line, I towed the line, I did the things I was supposed to do at church. I, I've been teaching adult Sunday school, both here and at Grandview Church for probably close to 30 years. So I, I help at youth group. I, Paul and I ran uh, um, digging deeper on our, out of our home on Wednesday nights. So we were doing stuff, but I really think I was pretty stagnant. Well, getting cancer is a way to unstagnate you. <coughs> and it did me. It woke me up. Paula for 20, we've been married 27 years. I hope I got that right. Uh, and for the first you know, 26 years of our marriage. She, I love Paula. She, I mean, she's a, she was a great mother. She was, she was a good wife, but I don't think I appreciated her. And when, and when this hit, she, she became. I have to be careful how I even say this word because I don't want to take glory away from God. But I adore Paula. She had my back through the whole thing. Some of, some of the best nights when I was really struggling and that we would just lay in bed studying scripture together and memorizing scripture was just me laying my head on her lap and her stroking my head and, and reading God's word to me. I mean, it, I, was, I was a mess. I was, not, I was not in a good place. I have, uh, I have always struggle with anxiety I say always since probably I was 40 years old and the day that I was told the Friday when I met with the radiologist and the oncologist the day I was told I was going to have to wear this bad boy I was going to have to wear that guy and that they strap you down to the table but I also had to have this in my mouth and then in the middle of the winter when how often do you have a plug nose? How how am I going to be able to breathe? Oh, I was a mess. I was so stressed out. And Paula made it <coughs> made it known on uh, on the prayer line that Todd was struggling with anxiety. Well, <laughs> I could have just popped right into. I was supposed to start radiation like that within a week of them presenting this mask and the mouthpiece to me um, but they said you know you ought to just have a last second checkup with the dentist so I, I go to the dentist and now they tell me I've also got to have 10 teeth pulled so I had 10 teeth pulled in the back of my mouth because they were going to get in the way of the radiation well that gave me another month to worry and I did Oh, my stars. Every night I went to bed, my hands were wet. My feet were wet. I've, I've been nervous enough, you know, speaking in public or doing whatever where your hands get wet, but my feet were wet. I, I've never been so stressed out. 
the first day I laid down on that table, had that mass bolted to my face with that big chunk of wax pushing my tongue back to hold it steady, I never once stressed out. I never once freaked out. I don't know how how to explain that other than the prayers of my family and friends here. Impossible. I'm a, I'm a creature of freaking out. I I have claustrophobic tendencies. I don't like I don't like being caught. Uh, you know, not being able to get out. I don't like riding in airplanes. I don't like uh, not being able to breathe. I was so freaked out, but I never once fretted, and I attribute that to the prayers of the saints. And I'm not. I've to my own. I guess uh, detriment. I've never, I've never been a, a huge prayer warrior, and I, I appreciate people that are such. But I tell you what, I can tell you now because of my experience that prayer does work. Because I, I, I should have been a mess for, for two months. I had to do that for two months every morning, laying on the table with that mass and that big chunk of wax shoved down my throat. I never had a problem breathing. It almost became relaxing toward the end, which is even more amazing. So, well, one of the things I would I would say that <coughs> probably more than anything came out of it was, as I talked with other people was to change and to make your story and to turn it into God's glory, no matter what it is. It's not just cancer. It, it could be divorce. It could be whatever it is you're going in or through in life. Turn that around. Turn it around and turn it into God's glory. Because, again, this life is short. There is a the uh, the radiologist, this is one of my favorite stories, the radiologist, <coughs> the first day we met with him, he had a nurse, the nurse, nurse's name was Dan. And when, he, when I walked in the first time, he goes, uh, because he knew what was coming, I didn't know it was coming, but he said, who's the strongest guy in DeWitt? And I know he was trying to, he wanted me to say Todd. I'm, I'm the strongest guy in DeWitt. And I just, I couldn't answer it that way. I said, I know you want me to say Todd, but I'm just going to say Todd, but only because of Jesus. And I wasn't never, I was never really satisfied with that answer. And then as Paul and I were studying scripture, this verse uh, popped up, and it was, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will gladly boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. And that was one of my almost mantras as I laid on that on that table. I thought, I, I know I'm weak. I'm a broken vessel, but God is strong. And the strength of Christ in me is what got me got me through all that. So afterwards, whenever he would say that, and I would quote that Bible verse back to him, he would smile because he I think he might have even learned something in that, that that's, it's not, a, pers- a person, you don't get through that 
on your own, and I don't know how anybody gets through an event like that without Jesus. I really don't. As well as the, as well as the support of their family and friends. There was a one of the times I was waiting in the radiation room. Paula was there with me. She, um, I ended up actually driving myself to every radiation and, and chemo appointment. I never missed a day of work, but I didn't. That wasn't because I felt good. I didn't feel good, but. There was an old guy who uh, had a walker. He's probably 80 years old, and he had just got done with his radiation. And he's walking past the the waiting room, and his wife just beelined right past him. And he yelled out toward her, you know, whatever, Martha, wait up, I can't move that fast. And she never turned once and just headed out to the parking lot. And I thought, how hard that guy's life must be. Not only is he going through radiation, but he doesn't have the support of his own spouse and not only did I have the support of my spouse I had the support of my brothers and sisters and my and my friends and and the church family here I mean I was overly blessed with people that supported us one of my favorite stories is our neighbor who we've not gotten along with ever since I put a Trump sign in my front yard this past winter when I was going through it all I woke up one uh, one morning and their adult son lives with them and he was out snow blowing our sidewalk and driveway and they both came over <coughs> the, the the mom and the dad saying that Nick is is the name of their son how he's got he's got know what the phobias are but he doesn't talk to people he doesn't come out of the house he he wears all black I mean there are times we're sitting in our house and you can feel his music the bass in our house so he, he's got some there's darkness in that poor guy's heart he's he's struggling but he d- he did our driveway and that mended a broken re- <coughs> relationship where we talk now this morning we get up and there's snow on our sidewalk and our driveway Nick is out there doing our driveway and our sidewalk I really think that's because he's broken but he saw me even more broken I couldn't do any of that I think I could do it now I feel strong enough to do it but God bless him for still doing it One of the other big events for me was maybe about <coughs> halfway through my my weeks, a friend, Robert Lincoln, who I hadn't talked to in four or, five, four or five years, called me on the phone, and we talked for about a half hour. And one of the things he said in our conversation stuck with me more than anything else was, don't waste your cancer. Isn't that an odd thing to say? But it's so true. Now, I think that's only true if you've got a Christian perspective. Don't waste your cancer. Put an underline underneath cancer and put whatever else, whatever's going on in your life. Don't waste it. Don't waste the opportunity to give God glory. When I see my sister-in-law, Kim, Kim has been through a couple of different cancer battles. And people ask me, how's Kim doing? I go, 
I don't know, but she's always got a smile on her face. I guess she's doing okay. She's been a she's been a real encouragement to me. She uh I wouldn't say every morning, but close to every morning. She would send me just a praying hands text to let me know she's praying for me, um, numerous cards, cards of encouragement, so I really appreciated that, besides the fact that I knew that she had gone, she also, one of her cancers was in her eye socket, so she had to wear a mask, so I, I drew uh, encouragement from that, and so I appreciate it. And my brother Scott, there was one time where I, uh, Paula was sick, so he had to take me to an appointment. And I was stressing out. Uh, this was before I really started the cancer treatment, but it was, uh, I, I had indigestion, and I couldn't take any medication. I couldn't drink any water or anything before this, and I could feel the burn in my chest, and I'm, I'm starting to freak out. And Scott said, let's pray. And we prayed in that, in that waiting room, and it, again, made a ton of difference, and I appreciate that. So don't 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 put the power of prayer on a back burner and think that it doesn't it doesn't make a difference. I know when people say, you know, you can do this for me or you can do this for me or you can pray, but they, it's like prayer is a secondary thing. Make prayer the first thing. Move it up front. I uh, I would imagine that even if you've prayed for me once, thank you prayed for me more more than once thank you I really do think it makes a big difference during the cancer treatment they told me that it was going to be eight weeks and they said by the third week you're gonna your mouth is going to be full of sores you're not going to be able to uh, to eat drink swallow we're going to have to put you on pain medication because the, the, the sores will be so great and so I was freaking out about that, of course. And Paula was making me these, we call them calorie bomb shakes, 2,000 calories in a shake. And I, was, I weighed 225 pounds when the process started, and now I weigh 185, and I've kind of I've leveled out. So this is, this is the new me. Other than my mustache probably weighs about 5 pounds, so about one, 190. <coughs> um they told me I'd have these sores in my mouth. Well, it never really happened, but about the fourth week, I go to, I'm getting ready to go to bed, and I feel with my tongue down underneath my mouth, and I can feel like a, something about the size of a BB. And I thought, and that feels like a blister. And I'm thinking, all right, here it comes. It's just going to, like, explode, and the next thing you know, my whole mouth is going to be blistered. And because I had to, I was going through chemo, I had to drink, water constantly so I would get up four or five six times every night to go to the restroom and I get up at like three o'clock in the morning and I put my tongue down there and it's now it's about the size of a pea and I go into the restroom and I look at it in the mirror and it is bright red and just it looks like it's just gonna pop and then it's it's all over and the verse pops into my head make your request known how simple is that? Make it known. Just ask. So that's what I did. 
pretty simple, like a second grader, I just say, God, I'd really like not to have sores in my mouth. Next time I wake up to go to the bathroom, I, I'm just praying that that, that sore is gone. Now, and I, I'm not a, I'm not a, a miracle guy. I, I'm a, if I had to associate myself with anybody in the Bible, it would probably be Thomas. I doubt everything until you show me the, tr- the, the proof. I woke up then an hour later. I put my, my tongue down there and it was gone. Praise God. I never, never got a sore in my mouth. They, the, the radiologist and his nurse said in 30 years they've never seen anybody go through that radiation treatment and not get sores in their mouth. I never did. I felt like junk. I feel good, but I never got a sore in my mouth. So, praise God for that. One of the other things, and I'm going to probably end with this. In chemo, I don't know how many of you have gone through chemo, but at Unity Point on John Deere Road in Moline, it's all glass windows, and there's 13 seats facing this pond. And so there's 13 seats. There's one on the far left, and then there's a little divider with a wall about this high. Then you have two chairs facing like this, and then another divider, and then two more chairs, and so on down the line. And the first day we're, I'm getting ready to give chemo, they said, Todd, you can take chair one or you can take chair three. And Paul is like, let's take chair one. That's We can be all by ourselves. And I said, I don't want to be by myself. I want to sit with somebody else. Well, my chemo treatments would take all day. It was uh, seven or eight hours of flushing my kidneys and doing whatnot. But most people, when they go there for chemo treatment, uh, it might take two hours. So I would have two, three, four people come through sitting in that chair. And the conversations we'd have, uh, it's funny how when you've got cancer or when you're going through something, you're unafraid to, to talk about it. Like if I, you know, you see somebody in a wheelchair or whatever that you know has got something wrong with them, I would generally, I might say hi to them, but I wouldn't ask them, what are you dealing with? And that's totally changed for me because now, as I'm sitting in those chairs, I say, so what kind of cancer you got? And it's just, you know, because I've got cancer, it's, it's okay to talk about it. Um, but one guy in particular, uh, his name was Dave, is Dave. He was a 150-pound construction worker. Worked 40 years, never missed a day of work, never been to the doctor. One day he comes to work, and he doesn't feel so good. And he's kind of like, well, that's strange. So the next day, he goes to work again, and he really doesn't feel good. And his boss says, you need to go home. Go see the doctor. He goes to the doctor and finds out he's loaded with cancer, head to toe. And when we had met him, and he was sitting in the chair next to me in chemo, he weighed 100 pounds. So he was wasting away. But here's a guy who worked for 40 years, saved all his money or whatever, had just bought a camper, just bought a fishing boat, and was going to retire that summer. Never got to use any of it. He said he couldn't even lift a fishing pole anymore. So that was a, a lesson to Paul and I. Paul and I 
have always been very frugal with our money, how we spend stuff. And we thought, there's no promise for tomorrow. Now, when, when we've been to see the financial planner, they give you, I don't know if you've, any of you guys have been to one, but they'll give you a sheet, you know, about planning your future. And they've got Todd and Paul on the sheet, and it goes along, goes along, and it gets to 85 years old, Todd, dead. And then Paula gets, <laughs> she gets to live to be 100, but I'm dead at 85. Well, now I'm not even so sure 85, I'll make 85. Maybe I will, I don't know. But, the, but we've changed the way we've thought about stuff. We've paid for our first dog ever. We've always been, uh, gotten rescues. But this is a neat story. About the third week, Paul watches dogs for people. And about the third week of my chemo and radiation treatment, we were going to have this dog stay with us for a week because uh, her client was going on a vacation. And I thought, I don't want some strange dog. I don't know how I'm going to be feeling, what I'm going to be dealing with. I just don't think that's a good idea. Well, he was about a 110-pound golden retriever. And when she brought him in the house, I'm laying in the lazy boy, and I've got a bathrobe on and a blanket on, and I'm just, I'm not feeling good at all. And the dog crawls up into my lap. His name was Enzo, and laid his head on my shoulder and went to sleep. And I said, we are getting a golden retriever. <laughs> so, so we did. When, as soon as I got done with chemo, we went and bought an $800 dog. I can't believe, I still can't believe we paid money for a dog. But he's been, he's really been great. And uh, I know not everybody's a dog person, but dogs have always been important to me. And he's, he's really been something. The other thing we did, I never thought this would happen. I've always wanted a Jeep Wrangler. Paula said, go get a Jeep Wrangler. What are the chances of that? I got a Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> We're just, Alex and Max, there's not going to be anything left. Sorry, we're spending it all. <laughs> but that that is, you know, I don't want to say to live live your life for what this world has to offer but I want to live in a, in a way that I'm not afraid to share my faith share my stars there was a I, I'm a videographer now and, and I do editing we were shooting in Chicago just maybe three weeks ago and we were shooting two guys that uh, struggled with opioid abuse and had been in and out of prison and one of them said, I'm behind the camera filming this thing. And one of the guys says, uh, uh, he quotes some scripture. I don't remember quite what it was, but it was a fairly generic scripture about his struggles and, and being weak. And I quoted the, uh, the scripture that I mentioned earlier about uh, God's grace and, and being weak and how God, God is the strength of Christ that's in me. And I quoted that from behind the camera, and you could hear a pin drop. But I thought, that is that is the way I'm going to start living my life. I'm going to share. I'm not going to shove it down anybody's throat. But how I said that I was going to live my life in a way where I just lived it, sometimes that's not enough. You know, you can, I'm still not going to shove it if down anybody's throat. If I, like I said that, 
I got no reaction, okay, I move on. But if they'd have said, you know, where's that scripture passage at or whatever, then we'd had a chance to sit down and talk about it. But that's happened quite a few times in the last six months where I've, I've stepped out of my comfort zone. Uh, my, my nurse um, in radiology last week, I had an appointment, my last PET scan, which came back clean, praise God. I stopped in to give all the nurses and, and doctors hugs, and one of the nurses, we, we sat down for a half hour and talked about Jesus, and I wouldn't have done that without my new attitude, uh, but God does change you. And so when I, that beginning verse, when I started out earlier today about um, being a new creation, I don't think it just stops, it doesn't stop just at your conversion. There's a, there's a process of sanctification that happens all the way until we get to glory. And my sanctification process, it kind of stalled out. But God's ramped it up again. And I, I'm, I'm more on fire for Jesus in this last year to the point where I would say my cancer was a blessing. Those are weird words to come out of your mouth. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to Paula. Sorry for the last 26 years, honey. But I'm going to make it up to you. Um, it's made me a better person. Jesus works miracles even through tough times. I know what what I don't have this verse memorized. Matt, maybe you can help me out. But it talks about um, testing produces perseverance and perseverance faith. Am I close? But that's that is so true. I mean, you don't want to go through trials and testing and 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 hard times, but hard times make you, they do make you better. It even goes on so much as to say that if you're not getting tested, you're not a child of God. Doesn't it kind of say something along those lines? Because a father tests his, his, his sons. And if you're not being tested, is there a reason for that? I don't know. I might, I might be, I've got the gist of it, I think. I don't know how accurate I am in with all that. But testing, now, again, I would say I don't want to make myself sound too important that God himself actually tested me. But I do think that's what happened. But I also think when Neil and Kurt and I stood up front here and decided that we were going to present to the leadership that we should do more testimonies, and then two weeks later I got tongue cancer, that in the same sense, Satan wanted to keep me from proclaiming my testimony. Well, here I am, and there you are. So thanks for listening. God bless you all. Thanks for praying for me.